Hello and welcome to another episode of Olivia's Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Breitkopf. In today's episode, we're going to be talking uh, with a, an instructor, a librarian, and an all-around wonderful human being, uh, my friend and colleague, Cindy Free. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? Thank I'm you. Delightful. Thank you so much <laughs> for being on the podcast. Our topic today is we're going to be talking about something a little bit different. As you know, if you've been listening to the podcast, we spent a lot of time talking about high school, applying to college, test prep, things like that. But today we're going to be uh, you know, winding it back a little bit, and we're going to be talking a little bit more about English language instruction for younger students. And I think it's a good place to start because one of the big issues with students applying to college is that college application essay or students taking the SAT or ACT are those reading sections. So before we get into that, though, Cindy, uh, would you be so kind as to tell us a little bit about yourself and your background? Well, um, I started out as a preschool teacher. I have a master's in early childhood ed, which I got in the dark ages. And um, after about 10 years of teaching preschool, I couldn't take the noise anymore. But the one thing I still liked was children's books. So I became a librarian thinking I would be a children's librarian. That never happened. I ended up working at Boston College in the Educational Resource Center, teaching children's literature part-time. And now I'm in the main library at O'Neill Library. Um, and teaching a college writing class. And of course, I'm here at Chiton too. All right, so what do you tutor uh, when you're not teaching or working at Boston College? Currently, all of my students are 14 or younger. My youngest is eight years old. And they're coming to me for English as a second language, basically, English language instruction, help with reading, help with speaking, help with writing. So they were doing this because they're not native English speakers. Right. All right. So laying aside that part, because I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think whether a student is coming to English a little bit later as someone who is perhaps an immigrant or uh, learning English as a second language in the United States or another country, or younger students from back when you were a preschool uh, or elementary school teacher, uh, generally learning English is learning English. Right. You're correct. So, <laughs> so what are some of the things that you feel are the most important uh, things that you want students to get out of their time with you? One thing I want them to get is that they should be reading actual books. Um, everyone has noticed that the trend now is for electronic equipment. It um, After preschool, it seems like students rarely are reading actual books. They're looking at their device instead. And there have been many studies that say that actual book reading is much, much better for you. It's something about the act of holding it, the act of the print, and you should not actually be looking at that blue light at bedtime, so you really can't read on your Kindle (laughs) as you're going to sleep. It's not good for you. Um, So the first thing I like them to do is read for me. Um, I've got a, I'm collecting a huge collection, library of books for them because the other thing is trying to get something that interests them. Mm -hmm. They um, do not want to be reading something that is not fun for them. I want it to be fun. Um, I talk to my college students and I ask them if they read and they don't. They don't read anything. One student in the class has read a book and it was assigned for another class. (laughs) Uh, And I said to them, 
this kind of strange thing. I said, tell me, when you read, do you get a movie in your head? And they kind of said, no. And I said, well, if you're really into the book, you, you don't feel like you're reading after a while. You get a movie in your head. And then it's you hardly even know you're reading. And that's why people read, because they get the movie. And that's what I'm trying to do with my students here at Chiton. I'm trying to get them to get the movie in their head, to enjoy reading so much that it's not an effort anymore, that um, they get really into the story. So the key is to try to find something they're interested in. Excellent. So uh, in your experience, <laughs> Uh, and in your opinion, are there any benefits to any of the tools that are available on a Kindle or iPad for students? Because there's a lot of educational apps out there. I'm not that familiar with them. I'm sure there are benefits, but I think at this stage, um, maybe for older kids, but at the stage I'm working with now, I, I really want to stick with print and paper and pen. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so... I know some of the students you work with are a little bit younger or they're newer to English and there might be a lot of pictures in books. What are your thoughts on things like comic books, graphic novels, uh, in terms of their literature value? I think if they're reading the box of cereal at breakfast, it's a good thing. I think whatever they're <laughs> reading, I don't care what they read as long as they're reading. Um, I do want them to read some of the stories I give them so that later we can talk about what happened in the story, and I can see if they understood it. Um, the other thing I'm having trouble with is finding science fiction and fantasy for more sensitive kids. What do you mean by more <laughs> sensitive? I'm, I have to quickly read everything I give to them to make sure it won't upset them because some of my kids are really, really sensitive. Okay. Um, I had one child read the um, there's a Ray Bradbury short story all summer in 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 a day, which is by the way one of my favorite stories of all time. Yes. just like like giving me the, one of those moments where the entire story like replays in your mind right. and like and the, and the whole room closes in on you while you're remembering it. I just had that moment for everybody listening. Yay! <laughs> um, he and I had him read it, and he got so sad at the end of it that I had to sort of try to get him out of the sadness before I sent him home. And I thought, okay, we won't go down that route again. Maybe, maybe so, a little James Thurber afterwards. Maybe, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, um, that's the other thing is trying to match the, the whatever the reading is to the child. You mm -hmm. can't just come in with a pile of books and randomly give them one. You have to find out what makes them tick. Beyond just genre and, 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 and the sensitivity issue, uh, a lot of the students you work with are, are as you said, uh, non-native English speaking, uh, English language learners, mm -hmm. as opposed to students from the local community who grew up in this country and speak English in the house. Are you finding that you need to be culturally sensitive with, with your students? Um... As far as introducing them to cultural things here or other cultures, well, are they gonna are they are these students uh, having a difficult time connecting to stories because they, they don't relate to their culture, uh, for the culture where they grew up, or if they were born here, the culture that they live with at home every day. Okay, you know, if the main if it's one of the stories. Um, you know, if it's if it's a common Caldecott Award winner and they're from a Chinese language community family, are they having a hard time? Or it's a credit uh, 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 
Credit Scott King mm-hmm. award winner. Are they having a hard time connecting culturally to the story? I haven't found that yet. And the interesting thing is that I've been um, reading folk tales with them. Mm. Folk tales and fairy tales from Ireland, from Sweden, from England. And they can they seem to totally relate. They seem to um, really get involved with what's happening. So. so are they are they able to put it to their own cultural context? I think so. Yeah, I think that's. I mean, it. that sounds reasonable, but I, you know, you, you just always want to check to make sure that there's there's this a connectivity that can occur uh, that students can understand what's going on, even if the characters don't necessarily look like them. They can put it in their own in their own mind. They can make themselves the hero of those stories. I think so, and the re- and I'm also doing it for a reason. Um, other cultural folk tales and things because first of all I don't know if they've been introduced to that yet second of all I don't want to just stick with their culture I, I don't want to bore them or um, have them rereading something that they're already super familiar with but I do ask them things about their culture mm-hmm. and they're always really good about explaining things to me that I don't understand do you find that science fiction and fantasy which you've mentioned is a great way to connect um, by putting everything outside of all of our cultures and, 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 and previous experiences? I think that's one reason it works, because it's different for everyone. Um, we're all in the same boat or spaceship or whatever. Um, <laughs> as, far as, as far as that goes, um, I think they are a lot more relatable than some other sort of award winner that is really out of their experience right so but a lot not of the, like when dixie said in right. a farm in the south exactly has a very particular context for us as native english-speaking americans right versus someone who's coming to this country uh with another language and cultural um background i think that's true and so once you've read through the story with <clears throat> students uh, what's what are some of the things you talk about what are some of the the academic concepts that you're looking to to breach with these students um, I like to talk about before the story's over, I stop them and say, now what do you think will happen? I like so you're them predicting to be outcomes. thinking of outcomes. Um, as we go through every story, no matter what it is, we talk about vocabulary. Um, stop me when you get to a word you don't know. Mm-hmm. They all have notebooks, and they write down words in their notebooks that they haven't heard before. And we look up the meaning, or I tell them the meaning. And they just keep it, and we go over and over those words because we're also trying to build vocabulary. Is that different for when you were, for example, a, a an ele- you said a preschool teacher or elementary? Preschool school? and a little bit of elementary. So is that different? Because I would think that based on what we've talked about before the pod, uh, those are students who were you know local community students, American students. Uh, is that different? Is that that vocabulary toolkit? something that you did with those students or is it just because these are English language learning students? I did it with everyone. Um, however, these words might be a little bit less advanced than a student that age might normally be learning. Um, Even students up to age 14. Right. There's a little bit of catch up still. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're interested and they're getting there. So... Excellent. So one of the things that I've worked on, because you know, I, listeners of the pod know I uh, teach study skills classes, I, I teach test prep, and uh, I'm certified as a middle school English teacher, a middle school social studies teacher, and a middle school math teacher. So my background is in high school and middle school education, although I've had experience in the tutoring business working with 
five, six-year-olds on beginning reading. And that is the hardest tutoring. Nice. <laughs> so difficult. Um, only because it's, it's a hard topic and it's such an, like an amazing time in, in the mind of a child. Um, there's a big push in this country, especially um, for students of that age, to work on phonics-based instruction. What are your thoughts on that? Phonics versus whole language. Um, well, I guess they're both important. I prefer... It's good for them to learn how to sound things out and to be able to help themselves as they're reading along and not have to ask everyone, how do I say this word? But I really have been teaching them things that I've been teaching the older kids for their SSAT and ISCE, prefixes, roots. Um, what do you think this is? You know, I'll just say to them, well, it says re-something, so what do you think will be happening? Um, that's the kind of thing I like to do with them. Yeah. I find, and for those listening at home who are not familiar with the technical term for that, that's etymology, which is right. the study of word parts, uh, roots, prefixes, and suffixes. I took a class in seventh grade um, uh, at my middle school, and I was in a, an advanced, um, I was in a, a magnet school, basically. And interesting, it was a magnet school for the arts, but we had an advanced uh, English program. And... Uh, seventh grade for half the year instead of taking English class instead of doing any writing instead of doing any reading of literature we just did a whole six months of um, basically Greek and Latin roots and mm. etymology and at the time the class was so difficult and we were so enraged as a, as a group of 25 students that we almost revolted and, and like like went on strike we hated it so much but now looking back as a person of a certain age, I think it's probably the best class I had, including college and grad school. Um, it just was so so powerful and useful to me in my life going forward, in my writing, in my ability to read, into my ability to do my work and figure out new words. Uh, I think etymology is one of the most powerful tools that you can teach a student because you become a word detective. Exactly. So you can look at any word and you can think, what in the world is this word? But then you look at the little parts of it and try to see if you recognize anything. And a lot of the times you will. If you don't, then you call someone to help you. But, <laughs> but usually you'll notice something that, yeah. that can help you out. So you're, you're focusing more on a reading uh, to figure out the words and, than phonics to figure out the yes. words. More of a whole language approach, yes. which is actually kind of out of fashion in the United States and much more of a, of a Scandinavian European style where they really focus on whole, uh, whole language instruction. And I've got to say, in the research I've done, I'm, I'm actually all about balance. I mean, everything, I mean, I'm, you know, everything from like physical fitness uh, with yoga yeah. all the way through, you know, a, a balanced diet through everything. I'm all about balance. And I, I like a balance between the two. And I think uh, a pendulum swing focusing on only one it actually puts you both as the instructor and as a student at a disadvantage because mm -hmm. you're only getting half the picture, at least in my it's opinion. It's true. It's true. Yeah, I was going to say something, and it just flew out of my head. That's okay. <laughs> it's, that's okay. For those of listening at home, we're recording late in the evening, so <laughs> after a full day of librarying and teaching, the two of us are just lucky we're awake. Yes, <laughs> yes. Um, so when you're uh, doing 
test prep, SSAT, ISCE, that's a different student population. Right. That's a population that's uh, probably um, might be going to an independent middle school or going to a high-performing public high sc- uh, public middle school, and they're looking for admission to uh, an independent high school. Um, is it different for you teaching a student who's in that community versus an English language learning community? It's not that different. It's at a different level, obviously, but it's not that different. It's We're working on the same things, reading comprehension and etymology and... Did you really understand that paragraph you read? <laughs> Can you answer the questions? Um, it's it's really not that different. What is different is that they're a little bit more nervous. And they are... When you di- say they, you mean the English language learners? No, the, um, the ones that are about to take a test. Okay. And they feel driven that they're doing it for a reason. And if they're not as far ahead as learning as learning as many vocabulary words as they want to they get upset with that the upset younger them with kids themselves? yes yes they get worried that they don't know enough and so they're doing things like you know memorizing and and frantically you know putting the words in sentences um the younger kids the english language learners are sort of just happy to learn the words and they're very calm about it and they're in their notebooks and they look at them and study them and sometimes they put um, translations next to them to help them remember. So um, that's really the only difference. So it's the pressure that the American, uh, maybe high performing or, or, or attending a high performing school students the pressure they put themselves under because of this test to right. gain admission to uh, possibly prestigious private independent school. Yes. When I give them a list of vocabulary words they'll need to know and I say, could you check off the ones you know already? And they only check off three. That's makes them not feel very good. Mm. As opposed to the, the English language learners, many of whom, if not all of your current students are all uh, from the Chinese language community mm-hmm. who are either immigrants themselves or their parents are immigrants. And while born in the U.S., their parents uh, speak Chinese in the home. And so the students spend most of their non-school life speaking and reading and learning Chinese. They're just looking to uh, gain more fluency for school, for the public sphere, Mm -hmm. for communicating with peers and teachers. Right. And um, one thing I have noticed is that many of them went away at Christmas and when they came back, they didn't read as well as they did Mm -hmm. before they left. So we're we're really working a lot on reading. well, that's the thing. I think practice is the big thing. It is. I mean, my my phrase, and again, I didn't invent this phrase. I actually found it from a movie on rugby. Uh, you can look that up. I believe it was on Netflix for a while. I forget the name of it. Um, please look it up. Gary Cole is in it. He's excellent. In okay. It. Um, <laughs> the, the phrase that the coach character used in the in the in the movie that I love is "practice makes permanent." Where the more you practice, the more the skill gets permanently embedded in your mind, in your muscle memory, in your soul. Um, the more you read, the your, your brain is not a muscle, but mm-hmm. it sure does act like one. And that the more yeah. you exercise it, the stronger it gets. It's true. And one thing we talk about in both age groups is how strange the English language is. Mm-hmm. And how you really can't count on any word meaning anything mm-hmm. or sounding like anything because they come from 
all right. different languages. Right. Uh, there's an author named Eric Flint who has a, a funny turn of phrase in his description of the origins of the English language. And it was, uh, the English language was developed uh, by accident uh, by uh, Norman men at arms trying to seduce Saxon barmaids. <laughs> so it's this cobbled together pigeon language. So it's language. a big accident. Yeah, it's a cobbled together pigeon language made up of a mix of German, Celtic, Latin, French, and some Greek technical terms that kind of got sprinkled in over the over the millennia. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and about 500 made up words by Shakespeare alone. So, right. so I always say to them, don't feel bad. It's hard for all of us. <laughs> it's okay. Yeah, I, uh, I like to joke that uh, while I may be illiterate in all other languages, I'm still working on English. Uh-huh. So yeah. one last thing I wanted to ask about, because a lot of your recent experience has been uh, working at Boston College, working at the college level, not only working in the library there, but teaching classes earlier in children's literature and currently in writing. Um, what are some things that... if you know, if you look at your college students and you look at them and you say, gosh, I wish I, I knew you when you were 8, 10, 12, 14 years old and I could have taught you this. What's one thing you wish your college students had learned back in elementary or middle school? To keep reading. I know they're forced to read in elementary school and their parents probably read to them every night before they went to sleep. Mm-hmm. But then at some point they think, well, I never have to read another book again. And after they get out of high school, Unless they have a book that they need to read for a particular class, they know, they don't pick one up. Mm-hmm. My first assignment this semester of teaching college writing was to make them all go to the library because I'm also afraid they don't go to the library unless it's an emergency. Right. I wanted them to go, feel calm there, um, pick out a book from the popular collection, which is fun reading that we have. Mm-hmm check it out so they'd know how to do that and then actually hold it and look at it and not just wave it around the first night and say I did the assignment but actually look at it and read a little bit of it and see what they thought of it because they're really out of practice Mm -hmm. so that's what I'd say I'd say don't stop reading if you think you don't like reading it's probably just because you don't know what subject you like And this isn't some rinky-dink little community college where these are students who may be picking up an extra class so they can finish the certification or because they have to. This is a major, important research university. This is Boston College we're talking about. We're not talking about a a, a school that is not well-known or not well-respected. It's one of the top universities in the country. Right. In the country. And you're finding this with the students there. I am. I'm also finding, like I said, they don't come into... We, in the library, we're dying to help people. (laughs) We're Mm -hmm. dying to show them where things are. The reference librarians are dying to help them with research. No one comes in. They come in when it's an emergency and they're frantic. Mm -hmm. And I can't tell you how many people are at the circulation desk saying, "Um, I don't know how to find a book. And then we'll later, when we check the book out to them, we'll notice on their card that they're seniors. So they wasted, you know, three and a half years when they could have been on top of the game, finding things, knowing things. Well, I tell you, there's no people on earth I like better than librarians. Thank you. My local public library in the town where I live is one of my favorite places to go. I bring my kids there all the time. Um, You know, it's just, and it's not just the resources, not just the computers there, it's not just the books. It's that librarians are people who are interested in learning things and interested in sharing that you know i say if you want to learn how to register to vote if you want to 
figure out how to apply for a job. Anything you need to do, I bet you there's a librarian who can help you do it. So I strongly advocate making use of your local library. It is the foundation in many ways of civilization, at least in my opinion. And you can also use Boston College's library. It's open to the community. Oh my goodness. You can't check anything out, but you can use anything and get all the reference help you want. Wow. <laughs> now that I know that, I may start visiting. <laughs> and I also have a friend there, so that's yeah, good too. True. All right, so well, Cindy, anything else on your mind? Anything else you want to share with us? Any other final thoughts you have? Just read to your kid. All right. <laughs> that's I all. I will. I will. We're in the middle of Harry Potter 6, so Good. we're working on it. I thank you so much for being with us. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. And folks, thanks for listening at home. I really appreciate you being here as well. Uh, let us know if you like this episode. Please uh, star, fave, heart, whatever your podcast listening app of choice lets you do to let us know that you like it. Hit that share sheet as well. Send out and share this podcast with your friends, family members, colleagues, coworkers, even your enemies. Show them how smart you are by sharing <laughs> this podcast with them. Anytime somebody listens to it in a different platform, we still get credit we still get the numbers so we know how good we are and of course please subscribe that way you get episodes downloaded to your iphone or android phone or mac or whatever the podcast app you're using right away you don't have to look for us it comes down right away if you have a question i know you can't normally leave comments in the podcast app but we luckily have a twitter feed it's at livius pod find us on twitter i'm gonna talk to our guy and make sure that the uh the the twitter link is in the show notes you can just click on that get straight into your twitter app and leave us a comment if you ask us a question we'll try and answer it if we get enough good questions maybe we'll do a whole episode where we answer your questions so thank you so much for listening and as always let's keep learning